uh, when she, when the girl doesn't the girl or young woman does not feel understood, um, and yeah. both sexes leave each other feeling not understood. To bad mouth mothers, then mothers are to bad mouth mouth fathers a five to one ratio based on reports oh, wow. from the children, but reports from the children. So the 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 mother so the girl looks at the mirror and she sees you know half her mother and half her father but she doesn't feel her mother's a loser she doesn't feel uh, uh, she she doesn't feel abandoned by her mother as much deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, where are you based, by the way? Just outside of San Francisco. Um, do you know a place called Mill Valley or Sausalito? I know Mill Valley. Yep. yep. Yes, um, I live in Mill Valley. Um, oh, amazing! And uh, very cool. If you're 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 probably familiar with our, the redwoods in Mill, Mill Valley, and um, I live in a park in a redwood park, and so in Mill Valley. Amazing. And are you mostly now just going around? Uh, promoting your book is that is that kind of your full endeavor these days do you have uh other things that are keeping you occupied other than um you know spreading the message around the boy crisis and the other books that you have well my wife or and then <laughs> in addition um yeah and two children but also um i've just signed um two new book contracts one to do a book on couples communication and another one to i don't know if you've heard of the myth of, the myth of male power are you familiar with that book Myth of male power. Um, I might have heard about it just through my research of of um, of, of your books, actually. Mm -hmm. But maybe, that's, the, um, that's the book that has sort of had the biggest impact, probably. Uh, the mm -hmm. book that sold the best was Why Men Are the Way They Are. But the you know the book that sort of is considered the the Bible of the men's movement, if you will, is the Myth of Male mm -hmm. Power, and it's been featured in documentaries and stuff. Um, and oh, wow. the uh, and so the um, so they've asked me to do a revision of that book that's 30 um, years old now. And so uh, I'll be calling it the um, um, the paradox of male power uh, to make it a bit more user friendly for women. Um, and the um, and so um, that'll be uh, so. But my first job my, that I'm working on almost every day now is a book uh, called Role Mate to Soul Mate. Uh, which is based on my 30 years of couples communication um, work that I've been doing. Amazing. And when's that coming out? Uh, that'll probably come out in late um, 2023 or 2024. Okay. But so not worth, not worth uh, promoting just yet. Oh, well, um, the, the, the thing for, um, I, I do have a, an on, oftentimes when people hear about the couples course, they, you know, they're often in tr couples trouble type of thing. And so um, it's on my, um, if people go to my website, uh, there's a, a section on couples communication. And in that section, uh, there is a video that I've done of the entire course um, that's, oh, cool. uh, that's able to be bought. And it's, um, and it's, you know, like a fraction of the, you know, like $197 versus, you know, attending one of my seminars is about $3,000. And, you know, wow, seeing, okay. me, seeing me personally is a lot more than that. And so it's, it's, it's a much easier way of, uh, for people to have access to it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll make sure we, we, we link that and maybe we can talk about it at the end, but, um, sure. what, yeah, why don't, why don't we jump in? I, I, yeah, I'm, uh, right. so I'm fascinated to talk to you just through the research and I know you've been on other podcasts, but, um, I'm going to start with this statistic, which is that in more than 60 areas of, and this is your statistics, 60 areas in 56 of the largest developed nations, there is higher rates of suicide and mental wellness, uh, mental illness, and lower achievement in education. Which basically means you're saying the more developed the nations are, um, there the more issues that children, particularly boys, are having in um, 
in, 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 in these specific spots, which is fascinating to me because it seems counterintuitive, right? Yeah. You would figure the better the country does, the more, more, more educated, uh, the, the more well-off. So wh- where is the disparity here? How, how is this such a oxymoron that the better you do in a society, that the worse the boys off uh, mm-hmm. are younger boys, uh, and particularly yeah. going into young men? I really like the way you pointed out that that sort of counterintuitive uh, dimension to it. And here's what happens. So the more developed the nation is, the more the nation um, in the middle and upper middle class um, can worry less about survival. And so when it worries less about survival, they don't have to have such strict rules that are survival based. So when you're focused on survival, you had to have the you know, very um, women raise children, men raise money. Uh, the roles had to be very rigid and strict uh, big, um, in most cultures. And so the more traditional, the, the more traditional the culture, oftentimes, the more it is a survival based culture. Um, but right. a survival in the middle and upper middle class uh, begins to not be um, a, such a controlling problem. Uh, the society can start, you know, working on um, allowing people freedoms uh, that allow them to uh, be more fulfilled rather than just focused on survival, a little bit like Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, the, um, and so what happens is the, um, the, the men and the women start saying, well, gee, you know, I really feel like I'm in a minimum security prison marriage here. Um, you know, I married this person and I feel, but I feel psychologically divorced. Do I really want to live my whole life that way? And the, the no answer becomes more viable to say, okay, I'll get a divorce. I don't want to live the rest of my life that way. And in the developed nations, there's freedom to more freedom to do that. But what happens with boys is that that usually translates uh, into the moms becoming the primary parent and the dads often falling out of the parenting process. Oftentimes the, uh, the, the mom uh, falls in love with a new man and she wants to have, uh, she wants to move to a new, loca- new location. She wants to have her child or children with her. She feels she's the one primarily responsible for the child and, you know, and, and, um, and wants to give him um, that, that type of love. But, what the, what the boy ends up having is no male role model, except the mother thinks that, you know, oh, the stepfather will be just fine um, if there's a stepfather involved in the process, or I'll just do fine with that. Uh, without, and we haven't, we didn't realize that, that you know, and mothers didn't know this ahead of time, but uh, that, that for all the efforts and hard work that the mothers put in, uh, the boy is often feeling like he doesn't have a number of the ingredients that dads tend to bring to the parenting. One of those is boundary enforcement. Another one is sort of a bonding that fathers often do with sports or roughhousing or teasing sure. or, um, you know, or taking risks and, um, and so on. There's a, there's a, in, when I did the research for the boy crisis, I discovered that there were at least nine major differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting. And the dad-style parenting was oftentimes, we often think of moms as having unconditional love. Uh, we don't often think of, we don't use that term so much with dads, but in fact, dads have unconditional love too. They just have more conditional approval. And so mm-hmm. if, you know, if the child wants to, you know, become a, a, gym, a gymnast and, um, and the mother will usually be very good at saying, oh, sweetie, yes, you know, you, you're so good at you know, gymnastics or you, you're so good at whatever it is that you could get into the Olympics or you could be an NBA star. Or you could be a, a great singer. Or you could um, and you could be a great actor. You're so good at that. And the mother will oftentimes very, be very supportive and spot the talent of the child and and nurture that talent. And the dad will be more likely to say something like, you know, um, you know, we'll support you to go for that talent. Um, but if we're paying for a tutor and driving you to, you know, to class and to, for gymnastics or whatever, uh, we, uh, that you can't become the best in your field in a highly competitive field unless you are willing to give up a good part of life, like seeing your friends a lot and going to parties and playing video games and, you know, uh, just hanging out, uh, hanging out on the phone for hours. 
Uh, you can't do that. People who do that are not the ones that super succeed. And so yeah. the mom often, you know, so it comes to party time and, you know, the, you know, the, the daughter is invited to a, or the son is invited to a party and says, I want to go to that party. And, you know, dad is much more likely to say, you have to make a choice here. You know, we're, you know, we're making a choice to put, you know, spend my time working to support you. And if you, um, and to take you here and there, um, and that's fine if you don't want to do this. But if you don't want, uh, but if you don't want, but don't expect us to support you and you only half put a half, half hearted effort into something that takes a full hearted effort and takes trade offs and sacrifices. And yeah, uh, so, a, a, so, so a dad is more likely to do that style of parenting is, of course, sometimes this right. is reversed. Um, but, you know, as with uh, Venus Williams and Serena Williams and just dozens and dozens of other superstars, um, you know, it's very frequently the dad that sort of makes very, um, you know, that says, if you want to do this, um, you've got to, you know, you've got to make these trade-offs, these sacrifices and so on. And so uh, the children yep, are more sense. likely to succeed that way. So boys who grow up without dads um, or with minimal or what I call dad-deprived boys, I discovered they're, they're more likely to have challenges in more than 70 different areas of development. Um, from suicide to depression to failing in height to dropping out of high school to dropping out of college. Um, and the problem with that is that when a boy doesn't do well in high school and drops out of high school, um, there's a 20% likelihood of him being unemployed in his early 20s. And, and he's much more likely to go back and live with his parents. And when a guy, when a guy just, meets just a, to, um, just to um, iterate there, so uh, I'm sure a lot of people are asking. So th this is a quote that you have, which is six times the suicide rates from boys to young men versus women that went that boys have when they grow up without uh, a father. Yes. Why is it? Is it that it just affects boys way mm -hmm. more than it affects uh, young girls? Good. The girls have a female role model to m model themselves after when they have a single mother. The boys mm. don't have a male role model. Girls are more likely to express their feelings and not have to uh, worry about being thought of as, that's not very feminine, you just cried, <laughs> type of thing, as opposed sure. to big boys don't cry. And, um, and so... The um, and so the when somebody expresses their feelings and vulnerabilities as girls are more likely to do, and a mother is more very likely to be receptive to that, the girl can express her feelings, be heard, be seen. Um, whereas the boy repressing his more likely to repress his feelings to begin with, and then having no male role model to say, you know, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, mom. Um, I'm masturbating a lot. You know, what do you think? Um, you know, the, the guy doesn't feel, you know, a guy doesn't feel very comfortable talking to his mom about sure. that. Um, and, or, um, and so um, the, and the father is more likely to be, um, you know, tough, tough love, having that conditional approval with the dad. And, um, and that gives the boy sort of like a discipline and the boundary enforcement leads to discipline, leads to boys doing, having postponed gratification. Um, and the postponed gratification is the single biggest predictor of success or failure. And so the boy with the dad is more likely to have that. But here is the really crucial issue. The boy without the, the boundary enforcement that has less postponed gratification is more likely to not do well in school to not do well in that discipline of basketball, acting, whatever his dream is. Um, and so he's more likely to be on the verge of failing. But when he fails in school, it's not he's usually at more of a failure to launch without that dad involvement. And that then not, it doesn't just remain there. Um, he begins to see that if he drops out of high school or college, uh, that a female who's a college graduate, who, by the way, will soon be more than twice as likely to graduate from college as their male counterparts. Females will be more than twice as likely to graduate from college as their female counterparts. But the trick in that is that the boy, uh, that girls who are college graduates are not very interested in, drop, in dating dropouts. Um, they, they're not very interested in looking in somebody's parents' basements for a guy. Uh, they're not very interested in looking in unemployment lines for a future father. <laughs> and so these boys are not just sexually rejected. They're also relationship rejected. 
even if the guy is really good looking like you are and tall and you know handsome and so on um you know the 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 woman is sort of like okay i'll have sex with him but ultimately when push comes to shove um you know you're really a nice guy really enjoy your company but um you're not you know you're not father material and the okay. woman and he gets and he gets rejected yeah attraction is definitely something i want to go into as well and how that differs from a man versus woman um, mm-hmm. do you think though the inverse could also not the inverse, but the other situation could also apply where if a, if a young woman uh, or if a young girl grew up without a mother, but she grew up with her dad, would the effects, the negative effects of that happen for a woman, for, for mm-hmm. a young girl growing up mm-hmm. into a young woman, as it would for a boy growing up without a dad, if a girl didn't grow up with a mother? Yeah. From what we know, not as much. Um, the, the girls are, um, with, with, uh, with their dads, they usually have more connection with girlfriends and, um, they can, they can complain or express their fears to girlfriends to a much greater degree than guys can. And so, and mothers usually figure out a way, uh, short of the mother being uh, dead and, um, you know, or having died or whatever, um, the, the girl doesn't usually feel abandoned by the mother usually mothers remain involved. Even if the father is the primary parent, mothers make a lot of effort to get there. And fathers are much less likely to badmouth mothers than mothers are to badmouth mouth fathers, a five to one ratio based on reports oh, wow. from the children, but reports from the children. So the, the, the mother, so the girl looks at the mirror and she sees, you know, half her mother and half her father, but she doesn't feel her mother's a loser. She doesn't feel uh, uh, she she doesn't feel abandoned by her mother as much, um, and so she doesn't. Uh, whereas a, if the boy in particular or girl looks in the mirror and the father's being bad mouthed, um, she eventually feels and sees that you know oh my eyes are a lot like my dad's eyes. My hair is a lot like my dad's hair, and she recognizes on some level. You know, the half of her genes are her dad's genes and her dad is, you know, her mom is saying that her dad is irresponsible, a liar, a narcissist, uh, you know, that type of thing. And she or he, the both the boy and girl, start worrying about themselves being a narcissist or a liar or irresponsible. Um, and so that starts haunting uh, the child. Um, and so the, uh, and the father, when, by, by requiring the daughter and the son to do the um, the types of discipline that lead to postponed gratification, that usually leads to the children being more successful in school, having more social, uh, having more ability to make distinctions between uh, what is being aggressive versus what is being assertive, and therefore the social skills that come from the discipline um, are more likely to lead to the, the to the daughter doing well in school and having re- being having the respect of teachers, um, being part of the of the right group or the right clique, if you will, uh, that makes yeah. her somewhat somewhat secure and somewhat insecure at the same time. No, that rings true. Women tend to be certainly more expressive. They they have more supportive groups. I think in uh, you know in their female counterparts, whereas mm-hmm. men. I think we have, well, even if you do have friends, you're not going to talk about these emotional things that you're having issues with that, especially when you're a teenager and you're self-conscious, it's just not the first thing you talk about uh, when you're, when you're with uh, a group of of your guy friends, right? So totally understand that. Um, What happens if you grew up with a stepdad though? I'm curious to know what the distinguishing is. So if you have a relationship with your dad, but it's, um, it's not totally dadless. You have some form of a relationship. I'm speaking for myself. Um, my parents divorced and my relationship with my dad isn't great, but I still grew up with a dad. I still remember good or bad experiences of being with him up to maybe 13, 14, and then we kind of drifted apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe this is similar to stepdads where it's not a biological dad, but he kind of came into your life later, maybe in your teenage or, or mm-hmm. young, young adulthood. How do those situations play out versus growing up completely without a dad? Yes, the stepdad can be very helpful, but there's a lot of cautionaries um, about stepdad and, and um, mother involvement. Um, mothers, often, if the father plays, if the stepfather plays a typical role, which is tough, the tough love and conditional approval role, the mother often interprets that as the father not having that deep love for the child 
that the mother has. And therefore, and so if that leads to the, the boy or the girl crying, particularly if it leads to the girl crying, uh, the mother feels that the father's the stepfather is insensitive. And so mm-hmm. in the great majority, but not all the cases uh, with daughters, a stepmother tends to not allow the stepfather to be more than an advisor. Um, ex- you know, exceptions to that happen when the mother is extremely strict and the stepfather is very nurturing. I was a stepfather to a woman who was very much like a sergeant. And, you know, the, um, and a couple of the children, the ones that were having the most problems, um, fell in love with me because I sort of listened to them and heard them. And I, you know, my boundary enforcement was not as great with that, with those children, because she took care of boundary enforcement really well. Um, yeah. but, but so the, the mother wasn't, um, you know, the mother often turned to me to be, you know, to connect with the children because she saw that I did that. But with the woman who eventually became my wife, um, she was much more, um, I was more the boundary enforcer and she was sort of like, I'll, I'll do this for you. Um, so you won't be stressed out. You won't be crying and cry, crying. And my a- attitude was more like, uh, you'll learn, you'll be more secure in the long run. If, if I ask you some questions that lead you to learning how to do it yourself, rather than giving you the answer. And so we had that sort of tension between us, but because I was the stepfather the, the most I could be for much of the relationship was an advisor uh, to talk with her at night about, you know, what I thought would be best for the children. And then she would implement what she could, but her love, her heart came first. And when a heart comes first, very frequently, that's wonderful on one level, uh, but it's very hard to, um, when you, when your heart is step is, is forward, uh, like many moms hearts is, um, it's often hard for them to um, see the child suffer. And so the, uh, the, the mother um, whose heart comes first is often becomes an enabler in order to prevent the child from suffering and, and, and doesn't want the child to sort of um, take responsibility for it. Didn't, you know, they, didn't get their, uh, they, they didn't get their homework done um, by bedtime. So, okay, I'll let you stay later. I'll let you stay up later. Um, to to do your homework because after all, I don't want you to go into school and not have your homework done. Whereas dad is far more likely to say some version. And this is this is statistically true. What I'm saying now, the dad is far more likely to say some version of I you know I I told you when the bedtime was. If you didn't get your homework done uh, before that time, then that you're going to have to take responsibility for going in without your homework. Um, so um, and the dad is thinking in the back of his mind. Um, when the child realizes it can't manipulate me into a later stay-up time to do homework, um, that 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 she or he will eventually learn uh, to take responsibility for doing the, their homework within the framework of the pre-bedtime time. Um, and Got so, ch- children who grow up with primarily moms are likely to have uh, much earlier bedtimes. Children with a dad's later bedtimes, but the children actually get to bed earlier with the dads than they do with the moms because of that greater amount of uh, boundary enforcement from the dads. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, this is, this seems to be a confusing time for young boys, young men, and just men in general on what it means to be a man. There seems to be a very disparity of what it used to be from a traditional sense. And I think a lot of people are confused because of these different definitions that are, that are existing. So I, I feel like you're one of the most fascinating people to have this conversation around. I come from, um, not, I was born in Korea, but grew up in Canada. Um, but I've seen this culture of K-pop, of, of uh, these, these boy bands with makeup and, wearing metrosexual clothing and in, in Korea and, and women being particularly attracted to that as, as, and, and that's, that makes more men want to become the sensitive character mm-hmm. and the kind of the, 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 the more of the feminine sensitive um, appeal to it. And I personally don't have any opinions in terms of what, I mean, I, I think men, women, they, they should do whatever they want, but how do you think that affects how, um, well, society in, in whole, because of these kind of 
unclear definitions of how a man should act or what other traditional things that they should fulfill in families and relationships. Yes, absolutely. This is so fascinating because um, I'm talking to a lot of junior high school boys and girls and, um, and the, the boys will sort of like um, hesitate to talk with me because they don't really want to say anything that is, you know, that is not proper to be said. Then, then they'll see that I'm open to anything that they say, and um, and they'll say, you know, um, what they're hearing in school is that um, this is like a junior high school boy, and he'll say, I'm hearing that you know masculinity is toxic, uh, that we have male privilege, uh, that there is that we men males are part of the patriarchy, and the patriarchy was designed to make rules to benefit men at the expense of women, and that the future is female. And that, um, you know, that everything they do, if they speak up and ex if they don't express their feelings, it's because they're emotionally repressed and retarded. Um, if they do express their feelings, it's their, their mansplaining. Um, if, they, if they take initiatives too quickly with a girl without asking for permission first as to whether they can hold their hand, it is literally, a, uh, they literally can be accused of sexual harassment by law in California if they're in college and they um, ask a girl out on a date um, and she says yes, and then they reach over to take their the girl's hand before she says, uh, without asking her first, may I take your hand? And she um, she can potentially accuse him of, wow. um, of sexual harassment. That? That's the law in California. It's also the... Um, it's also going through the legislatures of 26 states in the United States. And so on the one hand, the boy is learning, you know, don't do anything like even touch a girl's hand um, if without asking her first. Um, and then, and, you know, theoretically, this is in reverse, but I've never heard of a guy saying, uh, you know, suing a woman for touching his hand before she touches hey, his hand. Hey, listen, it's, uh, it's, it's 2009. Exactly, not exactly the way it works, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rare, but we see some crazy shit happen. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, yeah. But so then, so, so, she, so he's caught between that message and, then on the other hand, seeing that the guys who are most successful for with women, they do initiate quickly. Um, so is you know, and if he and if he sort of says to a woman, you know, I, I you know, is it okay if I if I touch your hand? Uh, would that be okay? Um, and then is it okay if I sort of kiss you on the cheek? Would that be okay? And the the woman is thinking of him as some type of wimp, but on the other hand, so he's caught between being accused of being a wimp on the one hand and a sexual harasser on the other, um, and seeing that the guys that you know that really get the girls, so to speak, um, are not the ones that are playing the wimp game; uh, they're playing the sexually assertive game, and so his the messages are enormously confusing. Or yeah. he, or he sees that in fact there is toxic masculinity. That you know the mass shooters are almost all males. The prisoners are almost all males. And so you know he sees enough examples of toxicity, male toxicity, that that seems to be like not an off base um, type of thing. But then he's hearing about male privilege, but he hasn't. You know what I explain in the boy crisis book is that male toxicity does exist. But may, but it doesn't come from male privilege. It comes from male sacrifice. So males developed the every every generation had its war. And in each generation's war, Uncle Sam or some version of Uncle Sam around the world said, we need you like in the Ukraine. Um, the, the law is that every male between the ages of six uh, of uh, 18 and 60, must remain in the Ukraine and contribute to the war effort. The females, no such rule, uh, no obligation whatsoever, um, except the ones they choose to exer uh, um, exert. And so in most cultures, including the United States, there's um, the, the, you know, the boys when the war came were expected to, were given social bribes, like they would be called hero. Um, if they participated in that nation's war at that for their that generation, and um, and uncle, you know, they'd have uh, pictures of uncle the their uncle who was a marine who died in the marines on their on their cabinet, and people would speak as you know, uh, Uncle Joe was really a hero, and so the boy is you know 16 years old and he's being criticized left and right by his parents or whatever not getting approval in school and he thinks well I can become a hero even if I die I can do mm -hmm. that. 
So, but to become that hero, he has to disconnect from his feelings. He's in boot camp um, and the sergeant, let's say he's um, partially Jewish or Jewish. Um, and the sergeant says, you know, uh, makes some anti-Semitic comment and he raises his hand and says, excuse me, sergeant, sir, but that was an anti-Semitic comment. I'm sure you didn't know that, but I just wanted to let you know. And the sergeant would laugh in his face and say, oh, well, sweet little Jew boy, uh, why don't you do 20 push-ups? Uh, oh, that's not enough. You're still complaining about it? 30 push-ups. And then everybody else would laugh at him for being sensitive like that. So the boy developed, a, developed an, an understanding that he needed to disconnect from his feelings to prepare himself for being disposable because the war machine worked best when there were no squeaky wheels. And his complaining about being criticized made him a squeaky veal, wheel. So keep your feelings to yourself. In fact, it's better if you don't even get in touch with your feelings, because why get in touch with feelings you can't express to begin with? It's dysfunctional. And, the, and he notices also that the girls are not falling in love with the privates and the pacifists. They're falling in love with the officer and the gentleman or he sees movies where Lois Lane has no interest in the sensitive Clark Kent, but she's suddenly very interested in him, the exact same human being, when she learns that Clark Kent has become Superman. And yeah, so there's wanna, all these tensions. Yeah, I want to go d deeper into that. So you, you have a question in one of your book um, outlines, which is a question around that men have about women, which is why do women say they like to hear my feelings, but then withdraw when they hear my feelings, yes, which is kind of this, again, counterintuitive thing that, you know, a lot of people tell you, but then obviously when it does happen, the reverse happens. So how much does attraction do you think plays a role in what a man should be defined as? So for example, um, do you think, because if you're looking at evolutionary biology, I guess one could argue that because back in the tribes days, men were the protectors physically from other tribes or other other things that could potentially harm the families and mm -hmm. the women and the children. Um, they were the physical protectors and also the providers in terms of food, hunting and all that stuff. And I guess one could argue that this is why women like men that have some sort of financial security, because that's kind of the currency that we have in terms of security and providing all that stuff. And also why they might like more of the bad boys. Um, so is that grounded on evolutionary biology in terms of how women are attracted to men? And is that something that men today are defined by um, where they're following the, what, what women are attracted to and they're playing that role to fit into the attraction, you know, criteria of what women are looking for? Or is it, I guess what I'm asking is, is it the chicken or the egg really? Is it, is it the mm -hmm. women that are attracted to men just strictly based on evolutionary biology, or is it men playing in the roles of what women are attracted to? Well, it's both, meaning that, and, and they really aren't contradictory to each other. The um, evolutionarily, from insects on through humans, the female always wanted to mate um, with a you know, couple of exceptions in this in this scenario, but the great, great majority of animals from insects to humans, um, the female sought out the male who was the alpha male. And she um, and that male. So, for example, among buck elks, um, the female will, um, will will seek the male that has the, the biggest rack, the biggest antlers. Um, and the um, and so when she finds that male, um, she will express the desire to mate with him. Um, but what's not realized is that in order to get the biggest rack or the biggest antlers, uh, the one with the, that size of a rack um, exhausts 30% of the nutrients in his body, the calcium and the minerals. And so, um, and, and if he doesn't get rid of that rack immediately after reproducing, he's likely to die um, if the winter sets in and he hasn't replenished the minerals, the calcium and the nutrients. And so the, the appearance of strength is actually his weakness mm. because he's the one most vulnerable to die um, um, if, he, if he doesn't get rid of that rack immediately. 
And does the same, you think, apply transfers to humans? Do you think men suffer in reality trying to appease what women look for in the alpha male? Uh, uh, men, men are constantly striving to be the reproductive choice of women. And, um, and in order to be the reproductive choice of women, uh, we, we do pretty much anything that they are requiring of us. The challenge for men um, has, and men have always been willing to do that. So, you know, they, they became the officer and the gentleman rather than the private and the pacifist. The, you know, every, almost every male in the Ukraine agrees to stay in the Ukraine and fight. And if he happens to survive, then he's a hero. But if he doesn't, uh, but you know, oftentimes what happens for, for the men is the process of becoming that hero creates problems like PTSD. And so oftentimes the, the, he'll, come, he'll come back from war and the, and the woman will say, he's not the man that he was when he left. Uh, because, you know, he, he now wakes up at night uh, fearful of the, the slightest noise. He, he's, um, he's, um, he's treating me and the, uh, and the family like it's, we're members of a, of a, of a military group rather than, uh, rather than um, you know, in a caring, nurturing, uh, loving type of way. And so there, there's all these types of problems that are, that are happening. Yeah. So the difference between before where um, I, I, I'd be curious to know what are the major factors you think that are, have led to more divorces as well? Mm. Is it, um, I guess, religion could be one of them and independence of women and them delaying their, uh, uh, you know, having babies and all that stuff. Is there, is there like a combination of all of these things that have led to more divorces? Yes. And the so number one, um, women have much more income than they used to have. So they're not dependent upon, um, uh, you know, there's given much more social permission to work, to be uh, to be their own uh, economic support uh, so that they can do two things. One is that they can divorce more easily. And that's a good thing um, on the one hand, because it gives women choice. They're not just uh, feeling that they have to be prostitutes their whole life. Um, and, and they you know, marry a man for a source of income only. However, we haven't um, we haven't learned the communication skills that are that that are necessary to, for for men to share with them, share their feelings with a, a woman, as opposed to being able to just sort of like uh, feel that they have to do what the woman wants um, um, to to please her, and then they're keeping all these feelings to themselves until sometimes they blow up into a volcano, and he becomes yeah. emotionally abusive or maybe physically abusive, and then the woman is really scared because that's the opposite of the protector uh, that she was um, had an instinct to marry. And so, um, and then the whole thing falls apart. Um, and their, her girlfriends say to her, you know, don't, you know, if a man abuses you like that, even if he shouts at you like that, or, you know, whatever, even if it isn't physical and she may have been, she's likely, many people don't know this, but, um, females in relationships are as likely to be violent to the men as the men are to the women, but it's very rare for the male to call the police and say, my smaller wife, uh, is hitting me, uh, please help. That's just not male style. Yeah. Uh, we, o- we only discover that this equal equality of uh, domestic violence um, is something that exists as a result of um, surveyors surveying both men and women and asking them, did you ever hit your husband? Did your husband ever hit you? Uh, did he ever, you know, um, uh, hit you with, um, did, did you ever hit him or uh, vice versa with a, uh, with a pan or a pot or an object uh, while sleeping or whatever. And, and the, even the women acknowledge that they're far more likely uh, as likely to hit the man as the either, but usually with a, with a pot or a pan or an object rather than a, uh, rather than a fist uh, and often yeah. while sleeping as opposed to while awake. And so well, we also uh, saw this in the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> yes. And most people think of that as a bit of an exception, but the, yeah. you know, the data, you know, when the f- data on this came out in the 1970s um, uh, by Strauss and Gellies, um, many feminists said that's ridiculous. It's not possible. And to feminists credit, uh, a lot of them did um, surveys of women, you know, to prove Strauss and Gellis wrong. And they almost to a, a person found that Strauss and Gellis were quite, quite correct except what they hadn't covered was two things. One was the, um, they, they, have not, they had not covered um, high school kids 
uh, and high school kids, girls are much more likely to hit their boyfriends than boys are to hit their girlfriends. Um, and then, uh, what's that? Why is that? Uh, because th th they just feel that there's more permission uh, for it. You know, once um, a couple gets married, um, you know, most girls figure that if they slap their boyfriend uh, or they punch him, uh, that that'll just, you know, he'll, he'll respond by, you know, just sort of like, wow, you know, that was really yeah, heavy duty. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't really have to do that. Um, but he'll just, you know, take it and move on. And um, and particularly in today's atmosphere where, um, you know, where domestic violence is almost always seen as from male to female, even though that's not accurate, um, the, you know, the guy will usually just not complain, not do anything about it. Um, and as a result, um, you know, invite the possibility of it happening more uh, when she, when the girl doesn't the girl or young woman does not feel understood um, and yeah. both sexes leave each other feeling not understood. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine the the um, domestic violence would lean towards heavier on the men doing it to the women. One, because of just the physical nature of it. Um, and it just seems to be, from an evidence perspective, that is what is being more reported, um, particularly like in places like Mexico, Mexico or uh, a lot of these other, other um, uh, I guess, non-western spots where there's more of this machismo culture mm -hmm. um there seems to be a lot of cases around that but it is also true that women if women were to hit a man the likelihood of a man reporting something like that to the police uh especially in a machismo culture where it is all about status and manliness it just would not be the case um so the, this idea of like uh, yeah, the, the higher divorce rates, I guess, is just kind of going back to full circle is, is certainly um, the independence of, of, of women, which are all great things, technology, the ability to freeze eggs, um, downfall of religion, I guess I could, I could also see where maybe religion did keep couples together. And it wasn't such a uh, nowadays with with most people being um, far, far more people being more agnostic and so forth. Um, I could see like communities being a big one as well. Like before, maybe we lived in uh, more tight knit communities, but now with online and people living in more urban cities, traveling everywhere, working remotely, it's less of this tight knit small small community groups where you would run into someone if you were to get a divorce. Um, so, with all of that said, is marriage? good for society if marriage was to continue at a uh, let's say at an increasing pace yes the, kids, the brief, I mean, the brief, the brief answer is, is if you know if we care about our children marriage is very good for people who have children um you know with it the 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 whole dynamic of human beings changes when we have children so for example um we often say that men earn more than women that's not true What's true is that fathers earn more than mothers. When um, when when we have children, um, the fathers are far more likely to give up jobs they love and take jobs that they don't care for. Like a, you know, instead of teaching in high, and they may love teaching in junior high school or high school or elementary school, um, but can't make enough money doing it, so they give up doing what they love to do, their passion, being a musician, an actor, an artist, all of which are high fulfillment jobs. Um, that you don't usually make much money at. And so mm -hmm. men are likely to give up those types of things um, to be able to to make money and to and to um, and to earn enough uh, for the for the family. But so marriage, um, but the the important thing about marriage is that it it's a stabilizing factor. Um, and so you don't need to have a stabilizing factor. It's totally your choice as to whether you have a stabilizing factor if you're not having children, uh, because nobody is hurt if you stay together or, or um, separate. But once you have children, children really do much better uh, when they have um, check, what, I, what I would call the ideal is checks and balance parenting uh, with an equal amount of both mother and father involvement or approximately. Now, the father may take a different role, be more likely to um, earn money and be less likely to be at home. But the children have the stability of knowing that father is going to come home and that the mom, mom and dad are together. And what they don't know is that they have they usually have some type of 
of, of um, dad style parenting and mom style parenting both happening um, in their life. Um, and so, um, and that be, that turns out to be extremely helpful for not only girl, boy children, but also for girl children. Um, girl children, for example, that don't have their, that don't have um, a significant father involvement are far more likely to become pregnant um, out of wedlock as teenagers. Um, and one of the reasons is, if we think about that, is that the girl child uh, that doesn't have a lot of father involvement doesn't have a lot of nuance as to how to behave with a male, uh, doesn't have a lot of male comfort. The only thing she knows for sure is that she can, you know, that the one way she can keep that male from going off with another girl is to be sexual with him. Um, so she may, she, so she's less likely to check into herself and saying, is this the type of male I want to be sexual with? Am I really ready to be sexual um, and just be sexual in order to keep him? Or conversely, she's she's so um, unschooled in the nuances of of um, interaction with a male uh, that she's afraid to get into a relationship to begin with. So she tends to skew on both sides of the of the scale: either um, get involved sexually too quickly, or be fearful of getting involved at all. Um, and both mm -hmm. give her different types of penalties that she pays, or you know, sort of um, sad outcomes for her um, without having that father involvement. Um, and so fathers that roughhouse with their kids, that tease their kids, um, you know, mothers often think of teasing as being sort of a little bit cool, especially if the child cries. Um, but there's a positive and negative function of teasing. And um, for the mother and father to work out when, when is teasing too much and when is it, uh, when does it, um, when is it healthy for the child is something that, you know, I, I thought that should be available in parenting books, but I ended up putting it in the boy crisis, but because it didn't exist anywhere. Um, you know, so fathers didn't tell moms, you know, I want a rough house with the kids because uh, the rough housing done in the way that a, a good dad does it um, creates boundary enforcement, creates postponed gratification, and rough housing leads to children being more empathetic. Uh, and, you know, most people would think of rough housing and empathy. How could they possibly be connected? Um, but they are when, you know, when dad says, if you are too rough with your your brother or your sister, we'll stop the rough housing. And then dad does stop the rough housing when the brother or sister is too rough with an, a sibling. Then that forces the child to not be too rough with their sibling um, in order to get what they want, more rough housing. And so that's just an example of you know, some of the positive outcomes of things that are male style parenting um, that dads, we, we can't blame moms for not knowing that because moms don't know what dads don't say. And yeah. conversely, we can't blame dads for not knowing that because, you know, I had never read in a parenting magazine or a parenting book of the, the, the positive outcomes of roughhousing, the positive outcomes of a certain amount of teasing, the positive outcomes of allowing your children to climb the tree. And, you know, very few dads say, you know, when a, when a child climbs the tree in the backyard and it's a little bit risky, um, that, that that will increase the child's IQ and increase the child's ability to assess between what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. Um, and so, and of course, climbing the tree too high could also lead to the child falling and get a, con a concussion. And so one of the values of checks and balance parenting is that mom says, I don't want the child to climb the tree. Dad says, you know, you're overprotecting the child and they might work out a deal where you can climb the tree, but not too much, you know, not too high and not on these branches. And dad, you need to be out under the tree in case the child does fall uh, so the child doesn't get a concussion. And by the way, give me your cell phone um, so you don't uh, get distracted and you can focus just completely on our daughter or our son uh, climbing yeah. that tree. And so that this type is also of the compromise. This is also the problem with like ninth place trophies uh, that are being celebrated in high schools or elementary schools, you know, it, it, it doesn't really teach like a lot of the things that you mentioned, what, 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 what the common framework is that you learn how to lose, you learn what real life is like, and that whether that's physical injuries, whether that is emotional pain, whether that is losing at something and then learning the lessons from that, and then taking that into other aspects of your life and improving, and then mm -hmm. seeing the results of that. I mean, those are all things that are going to happen in, in real life. I mean, there's this famous quote. Um, uh, I think it was a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a quote. It's, it's called the, I'm going to paraphrase it, which is, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. 
meaning that you can become, as Jordan Peter said, a monster. You should be somewhat of a, the ability to be a monster, but you should learn how to control it. You should learn how to, uh, to, to, to be able to use that in, in, as a tool in life. And it's, I think it's kind of the, the, the downfall. So I guess for uh, a question for you is for people that are in these situations, maybe they grew up without a dad or their parents that are not trying to raise their young boys without, um, you know, maybe they're divorced. Like what, what, what are we to do in society? What are we supposed to provide as lessons so that these boys that are in these situations can become the role model males or the men that we want in society? Very good question. A number of things. First, um, if you, if there, let's say I'm now um, a single mom's listening to this and um, the, the most important single thing that you can do is to understand dad's style parenting so that you can let the father know that you now understand the positive value of the things that he is more likely to do that you might otherwise think are sort of not attentive to the child's underlying sensitivities. Um, you know, like, why is it that you are opposed to giving the child the trophy for trying? Um, <clears throat> and, and then also, uh, so uh, why are you, why are you, why are you, why did you tease our son or daughter to the point where they cried? That was so insensitive of you, um, you know, and, but to not understand. So the first thing mom can do is to understand the value of dad style parenting and then communicate that you now understand that to the father and let the father know that you need him to be part of the process of raising the child. Because when men are needed, like in war, uh, men are willing to die in exchange for being told that they served well, that they were needed and they were wanted. Um, so that's ideal number one. If for some reason the father is in prison for life or is dead or um, is, uh, and maybe he's an alcoholic, by the way, and, um, and alcohol, if, he, if it's a hopeless alcoholic, that's one thing. Um, but if he's, um, if he's an alcoholic, one of the reasons may be that he doesn't feel needed and he doesn't have purpose. And oftentimes somebody who feels needed and has purpose is less likely to be an alcoholic. So um, really explore trying to uh, understand and to communicate with a biological dad how much he's needed. But if for some reason you can't get a hold of the biological dad, there's a lot of other things that can not be as good, but close to good as good. Uh, one is getting the child involved in multiple sports, what I call in the boy crisis, the liberal arts of sports, um, team sports, um, pick up team sports, really study the value of pick up team sports, sports that you have to train yourself to be part of a team, but it's largely self-training like gymnastics or tennis, um, where, the, where the training is largely of your own skill sets uh, more than the team. All of those have positive values and then identify um, spend time being at the sports practice with your son um, and um, and find uh, or your daughter and find a male coach who can uh, you can talk to and say, you know, my son doesn't have a dad. It would re really be our dad a significantly involved dad. It would really be a help um, for you to just take him aside once in a while and just say something to him about what he's doing really well while why, why he is special or what he might want to change to be more special. Um, and he could use, he could use your guidance. Um, and so single out ma good male leaders. If you're at all faith-based in your orientation, get your son involved in a faith-based community. Um, and, but make sure that you check out the, the um, minister, the priest, the rabbi, uh, the imam, um, and encourage that minister, priest, rabbi, or imam to get your son involved in a, in a group of boy, with bo a group of boys your son's age and and to encourage them to talk about their feelings and their fears and to have that be uh, confidential um, because a boy who doesn't know who who has the uh, the who's encouraged to express feelings but to have those feelings expressed um, uh, in confidence begins to discover that all the insecurities he has are the same insecurities that every other boy in that group has. And so that he doesn't need to cover them up and pretend he's sort of something that he's not. 
inside. And that really heals boys an enormous amount. Um, get the boys involved in Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts, there's a lot of hard data that I talk about in the boy crisis as to why Cub Scouts lead to um, boys um, doing well um, in character development. And I don't know a single parent that doesn't want their children to have a better character. Um, boy Scouts are have, have deconstructed masculinity ideally, and, the, and what boys learn in Boy Scouts is not harmed um, by girls being able to be involved in Boy Scouts the way Boy Scouts have it set up at the present moment. And so there's a lot of things that I talk about in the boy crisis to uh, um, how to how to involve a stepfather so the stepfather has a real um, parenting equality as opposed to just being a parenting advisor. Um, all of these things, um, uh, how to do family dinner nights so family dinner nights don't become family dinner nightmares. There is enormous healing and emotional intelligence development in a well-run parenting um, family dinner night, in a poorly run family dinner night, um, the opposite can be the case. So those are just do, a few things. Do you have any advice for young men that maybe are in their 20s, but are still developing, but they're not boys, or mm -hmm. people maybe even in their, you know, approaching their 30s, what, what are your advice for them to become better men, given yes. maybe, you know, perhaps they grew up with out the best dad in their lives, or maybe mm -hmm. even without a dad role model. Um, find another man, just one or two, uh, that you feel you can talk to, and and develop um, routine meetings with him, like every week, um, on either virtually or more ideally in person, and then get that man to recommend one or two other men uh, that you could young men like yourself that you can meet with, um, follow the rules in the boy crisis and also in, um, um, in, in uh, well, fo follow the rules in the boy crisis as to how to conduct a male only group. But remember two things in particular, the importance of confidentiality um, and the importance of being able to encourage each other to share feelings and the importance of frequency and bonding. Um, second, um, look at men that you think that you would ideally like to be like, that you wish were a great father, um, and ask them to mentor you. Tell them that you need that mentorship, that you don't have a lot of father involvement. If you are, if you do have a biological father, um, try to find him, reach out to him, ask him to be involved, tell him you need him, tell him that he's important to you. He may not be ideal, it's important to not have an ideal as a father. It gives you space to feel special about yourself. Um, it gives you space to sort of define yourself. Um, but the involvement of the father is really uh, very important. Get yourself involved in sports. Um, get yourself involved in a faith-based community if you're all at all oriented toward that. If you're not at all oriented toward that, get yourself involved in meditation and yoga and other types of spiritual activities. Um, if you don't believe in God, just think of God as being the other half of your brain. Um, and um, that, that when people pray, they're praying to the other half of their brain from your perspective um, and, and getting advice from that other half of your brain. So spend a lot of time going through the boy crisis and really um, studying things that you can do for yourself um, to uh, and, and because you will love your life, love yourself, be less likely to be depressed, be less likely to commit suicide, be much less likely to become addicted to video games or, or drugs or, um, or por pornography. Um, getting yourself addicted to pornography is, um, as, or addicted to anything um, has a lot, of, um, a lot more detrimental power um, than, than you would imagine at first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is, as difficult it is to hear for young men, there isn't anyone that's going to save you. I think you're at that age where you're no longer being expected to be taken care of by your mom or your dad or, or, or peers around you. Everyone is really just, you know, responsible for taking care of themselves. So you mentioned community, mentorship, spirituality, um, which is really just all around personal growth. So that's a great advice. And sports. Yes. Yeah. Um, awesome, Dr. Warren Farrell. So 
obviously the boy crisis that's the mo- that's the main book that we want to point towards um but uh, you also have a lot of other books so the way uh the way men are why men are the way the, they why are why men are where they are uh what are some of the books that we we should check out and point towards too i'd say the 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 to start with the boy crisis and um and why men are the way they are and um if you're if you're really up for a, a very challenging book that will um, the myth of male power, but I would start if you're a young man listening to this definitely with the boy crisis, or if you're a, a, a father um, or a, a mom, um, start start there. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with couples communication now and have for the past thirty years. So if communication is an issue for you, either with your son or your or your father or mother, or or your um, male or same sex partner. Um, really uh, go to my website, Warren at Warren, just warrenferrell.com, F-A-R-R-E-L-L.com. And, um, and um, go to the couples communication page. And there's, a, I've, I've, take, I've finally take, been able to take uh, the couples communication course that I've been working on for 30 years and been able to do that um, on video. Um, and it's very inexpensively priced. Um, and that will probably have a more positive impact on your life than anything that you'll read, actually. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, we'll have all those links below. Dr. Warren Farrell, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Ciao.